gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Black Baseball Mixtape, and I am so excited. We are coming up on the mid-season classic, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, and I'm always wondering, who can I get to talk about baseball in an exciting way, and a way that relates to culture, that a, that a way that relates to the barbershop? I already got my man, Alex. You may know him from ESPN Daily Podcast. If you did not hear the After Jackie ESPN Daily episode, you got to listen to it. Alex produced it, hosted by our main man, Jesse Washington. And today, joining us, we're very, very, very excited. The homie Clinton Yates, he does it all, man. He's a columnist, on-air personality, ESPN LA. Look, he, he he bounced out of DC a little while ago, but still, because I know he wrote for the Washington Post for damn near a decade. But Clinton Yates is one of the only folks and one of the best people I could think to talk about baseball, black baseball in the state that we're in. So Alex and Clinton, welcome to the mixtape. Glad to be here, man. It's good to be here, Cheats. Man. Absolutely, man. It's nice to meet you and I appreciate it. Let's get this doing. Let's get this going. So I'm, you know, there's a lot we can talk about on on the end that needs to be improved when we talk about uh, black baseball. We talk about the media. We talk about the game itself. We talk about the participation. But let's start with a high note. Let's start with we are about a week away from the All Star Game. If you're looking at this 2022 season, what gets you excited about the game? Things that you can talk to about other people. And also, if there is an element of culture in there that gets you excited about about relaying that, what are those things? What gets you excited? And if there's anything that we can talk that was related to our, our culture, what can get us talking to others about the first half of the season? Alex, you want to go first? Uh, I, I keep it stupid simple. I mean, the, the best part of the season so far for me as an insane Mets fan is having been in first place all year. That's simultaneously the worst part, because here come the Braves right on our heels, um, starting a series. It's Monday, July 11th, starting a series in Atlanta tonight. Uh, have watched a 10-game lead dissolve down to a game and a half over the past month and a half or so. But um, it's been exciting seeing Steve Cohen come in and, and turn the uh, junior varsity team in, in New York City into one of the big boys. Um, so that's, that's, that's the place I'm going to start. I think that one of the best things about baseball at this particular point of the season is that nobody is particularly super out of it. You mentioned the Braves coming back. You know, that's a team, World Series team that managed to get better um, in the offseason. And I mean, if you ask me who I think is definitively going to win the World Series right now, I could probably name you five teams, you know, right. and that is, I think, always what's going to keep baseball the most interesting is com competition. Um, you know, when there's two and three teams that are expected to win, that's one thing. But, hell, the Orioles are, you know, around 500 right around now. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of different squads that are actually figuring it out, which ultimately I think is better, you know, for the game overall. Whether, you know, what your particular niche of what you like about it is or is not, like, if there's more good teams or at least more teams in competition, it's easier to have fun across the board. I think that's, that's where we are right now. Just quickly, to, as an aside to that, you guys might have seen the Jeff Passan my buddy tweeted today that he could have had like 15 snubs for the all-star team. Yep. And it was kind of looked at as like really 15. That's a ridiculous number. But his point was there's a lot of good players out these days. You know what I mean? And guys are having years that normally would be considered all-star level years, but because they're not the big names, 
you don't really think of them in the same way, but that's just an overall quality jump that, you know, you can call it sort of attrition in terms of like why teams are, you know, moving closer towards one another, but I like it. So works for me. I'm going to stick right there because I think you're exactly right. What's good for the game. It's always, you know, if you look at other sports, they'll say if this particular team or this particular market is doing well, it's good for the game. You hear it in basketball all the time. If the Knicks are good, it's good for the entire league. Which is that's a lie. Which is a yeah, long way to come. Hey now, hey now, hey now. Like nobody cares, but, but, but yes. For, yeah. a, for a baseball fan that follows the game, I will say the New York Yankees and the New York Mets, when they are good, especially for uh, like I said, my my in the black barbershop, there's not a lot of baseball conversations. But we see a lot of Yankee fans and a lot of Mets fans with their chest out right now. And I'm wondering, is that something that translates universal? I mean, we know the Dodgers. They've historically been good recently. We know the Braves when the Braves are good. Uh, they were just in a World Series. But the Yankees and the Mets seem to hit a different place when it comes to casual conversation, especially among black people. Has so, anybody else picked up on that or no? With with the Yankees in specific, it's funny because they're always in the mix, right? And this year, I think you can tangibly sense that people are excited, that they see the young pitching has been performing for them. They've gotten good defense out of places they didn't necessarily expect it with Josh Donaldson. The city is excited about the Yankees. The counter to that is that when the Mets are good, New York City is a fully alive baseball town. Um, and, and I'm here, I'm in and out every day. People are rocking blue and orange. Some of them definitely on kind of a gentrifier, hipster, countercultural type of play, <laughs> but also because, you know, there's a certain sense of, of electricity in this city when this Mets team is good. And um, to have both teams, I mean, we're a month, we're a month away from, or a, a month ago, people were talking about things like a subway series was undeniable. Now, like you said, Clint, there's a lot of good teams and everybody's kind of coming back to the pack. So there's a ways to go, but um, you know, the potential of that, it, it just makes the sport electric here in New York city. And, you know, I know the Yankees are one of those teams that travel. The Mets are one of those teams that travel. So the league probably is healthier when both of them are looking good. Yes. And no, I mean, I would caution anybody who's living in New York to not understand what New York means to the, it's more bigger to the sports market, I think, than it is to, like, the baseball market, i.e., like, when the Mets and the Yankees aren't good, that's bad for New York. I don't necessarily think that's bad for baseball in general. Um, I, I, I do think that for casual fans who root for laundry and not players, it's important. Um, but the to me, you know, the game is always about the personalities. And I, I still think that there's something about the Yankees that needs to take a growth step outside of where it is as just a brand to who a lot of these guys are as players. I mean, a lot of people, for example, were Derek Jeter fans for no reason that had to do with the pinstripes. They just liked the dude. <laughs> they haven't, that hasn't happened yet again in New York. You know what I mean? And that's still a point where we're waiting for. You can point to a guy like a Scherzer, for example, um, you know, who comes in and kind of realigns what the Mets are about from a mindset standpoint, who's a big star technically as a baseball player, but he doesn't have the same relatability. Stanton, obviously big time player, but I still don't, I don't necessarily know how much of, you know, how much of an outside of baseball star he is. Aaron Judge is your closest to that. You know but what that's I mean? The thing. Are, are, are there, are there outside of baseball stars right now? But uh, Shohei Otani is the only one I could think of. Yeah. But I mean, I think that what I'm saying is that 
what they are capable of, not just what they're doing. I mean, a lot of these guys are, you know what I mean? Like the reason they're not stars is because they choose not to be, but they're actually pretty popular. You think about Tatis Jr. is another guy that comes to mind, you know, Vladdy Jr., you know, other guys that like you kind of know their names, but I, I do think that um, the judge, the thing that's actually most interesting to me about the Aaron Judge situation right now is what happens if the team doesn't win the World Series? You know, it's kind of a given that he's going to come back to the squad, but like. I don't think it's a given. He's, well, that's what I'm saying. He's old enough where it's like, hey, you know what I mean? This actually might be important on more than just the trophies level. You might lose your dude. You know what I mean? And I actually am quite interested by this because it, it gets back to your point. How important is New York to some of these guys? You know what I mean? And how big is the brand versus just wanting to play baseball to get paid for it? It's, it it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the rest of the season. I'll be excited to see that as well. I do think Judge in New York the way that he performs is something if he performs the second half, like he performed the first half, I think, I think he stays. I mean, I think he gets the money, but I think he stays because being good in New York is possibly a little bit different than say being good in Baltimore. Right. Sure. But Baltimore is not going to be that team. What I'm saying is that like, do you want to be, I mean, what if, again, what if he drops the ball in right field and they lose the world series? You know what I mean? Then your whole, you know, everything changes. Does he, you know what does, I mean? he like, hit, does he hit 60 before that or no? Right. You got to play the games. Right. By the way, the 60 conversation doesn't happen to me until you get to 50. So, like, right. you know, we'll, we'll, right. we'll get there. Right. I mean, I'm just being real about that. But no, that's a realistic there's an thing. Interesting, there's an interesting narrative, for lack of a better term, that we're going to have to pay attention to because it's like, you better keep this guy happy. And it might just have to do with winning. You know what I mean? It's going to yeah. be more than that. So I think I'm, I'm, that, I'm, that's curious to me because I don't think winning plays into it at all. I mean, I think really? I think I think we're looking at a market now where there are a handful of teams that can compete with the Yankees in terms of, of financial might. Right. Like the Dodgers could do whatever they want. Yeah. The Mets could do whatever they want. And I'm telling you, they got an owner who would love nothing more than to create the narrative of stealing the next Yankee captain from the Bronx and putting him in right field in Queens. Promise yeah. you that. So, I mean, winning the World Series is obviously his objective. I'm not convinced that that plays a humongous role in whether or not he decides to stay in pinstripes. Is that something that you, I mean, the, I, I, that's to me, that's fascinating. Like, Oh, I don't care if I win. I'm just like, that's something that's kind of tough to admit publicly because especially if the whole point is at least in Yankee minds that he's going to kick you closer to you whatever win, number man. trophy. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's an, that's an odd thing for him to just sort of admit publicly when the whole point is that you want to be at the place at least, in theory, well, that I don't think he's they haven't won a world, they haven't won a world series in more than a decade. It's not that no, I know. I'm, you're not fooling me. Yeah, <laughs> you're not fooling me. I'm just saying that, like, in terms of what Yankee fans sort of thinks about, like, if he decides to walk away, it's like, well, if you're not winning and he doesn't want to do it and the money's not there, then you got nobody to blame but yourself. Yeah, I mean, you saw Freddie Freeman dip Atlanta for LA, and I mean, yeah, the Braves just won the World Series. The, the Dodgers won the, either the one before, you know, one or two right before that. So Yeah, they won the one before. I, I think that's a different situation. He did, but he I didn't mean, want to go. He didn't want to go, and he was public about that. Yeah. I, that that doesn't strike me as the same thing because, you know, the Atlanta was a team that with a lot of historical – by historical, I mean 25 years ago. I don't mean, you know, 100 <laughs> years ago. Um, you know, success – I think also just Freeman was a different person in that ecosystem in terms of that team and that, and that market, you know what I mean? Like he was beloved and he loved it and, you know, but I, you know, and he didn't want to go, but I don't know that it's the same for judges, right? Like I went to Fresno state, bro. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not like he's died in some New York wool. Like, you know, he, he could easily walk as far as I see. That's what I'm saying. He could end up in San Francisco. Yeah. Like, whoever right. wants to make that investment. The thing that you pointed out that is real is that you're talking about a guy that's already 30, 31 years old. Um, so the risk is there in terms of investing in him, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years. But there's teams that have that actually might get pulled into the game because they can afford the higher annual value and not have to worry about a decade or more being tied to this guy. Well, this is yeah, this is the history of the freaking halos. I mean, doing this for every other guy that comes along. So I mean, <laughs> Anaheim will always be in play when this kind of stuff comes Absolutely. up for grabs, especially if Shohei's not there. That's a good. That's a good point and a good question. Yeah. You you mentioned um, a little while back about potential breakout stars that can kind of transcend past what happens on the field. And when I look at that, the biggest thing, and Alex and I have talked about this in the past, the biggest thing that I think always concerns me when we talk about the talent that we have amongst black baseball players is which one, two, three, five of them can be King Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds, Deion Sanders, Bo Jack, like the breakout beyond the, the casual fan. And I'm looking at the game today and I see Tim Anderson. I see Mookie Betts. I see even Jazz Chisholm. Uh, I see Jazz in Miami. I see what Ronald Acuna and you mentioned Tatis. Is there black players that have that potential if, I don't know if it has to be Nike gets behind them or, or stance or New Balance or something and, and does the right thing media-wise, Judge obviously comes to mind, but who do, you, who do you guys think in your mind could be those transitional players that get people talking about baseball and in particularly black kids talking about baseball at a whole new level or the level we were at when Bonds was hitting home runs and Griffey was hitting home runs and, and that, that era. So there's, there's a couple of things about that. Number one, which is that I think you named probably the five players that are most likely to fit that role. But I also think for me, like there's always this notion that we've got to be looking for the next Frank Thomas or the next Griffey, but I, that's, I didn't fall in love with the game because of super popular players. I fell in love with the game because of guys that were like everyday dudes that happened to be black, that kind of represented a little something closer to what it was I felt my journey was as a player. And like, yeah, you need certain things in terms of what people talk about at the highest end. But the bottom line is that when the black percentage, the percentage of black Americans was highest in baseball, it was only 18.1 and it was in 1981. That's the year I was born. Like very few people can name who the MVP of the league was that year. You know what I mean? And so like the height of the game has to do with where we are in the middle ranks as much as it has to do with where we're at the top. And so when I think about the TAs, the Mookies of the world, they're great to have because they like it and they like that spotlight. But there's a lot of guys I think about, I don't know, Brian Hayes, Josh Bell, um, you know, just other dudes that are just everyday players that are good players in the league. That to me has a larger purpose. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure, we can talk about what happens on Sports Center every night, but like those guys all come from somewhere. And when you're a player and you're a kid and you're thinking about who can I be, you don't always have to look to the guy that's all the way at the top. If the guy you know, I don't know, Michael Harris, the second is a dude who say, you know, from high school or college, or you saw that guy at the next level. I think that there's, I don't want to say competing goals, but there's two different things when it comes to what black folks are doing in baseball, trying to raise participation and engagement 
is not necessarily the same thing as trying to identify the stars. The stars are going to identify themselves. And right. I think TA is a perfect example of that. Acuna is another one. The question is how many people do we have overall in this mug? And that's something that I think we've taken a lot of steps on um, recently. It's not that rare to see a brother who's just an everyday player on a team anymore. And that's, that's, that's a really cool thing for me thinking about, you know, the Tony Kemp's, the Josh Harrison's, all these kind of guys, you know what I mean? That just kind of, you know, they're there, they belong there. And that's why they're there. That was one of the central um, kind of conversations we had in the after ja- Jackie episode was kind of like the chicken or the egg. Does participation yeah. come before fandom or does fandom come before participation? And I don't know that there's a cut in the wool, dry, you know, cut and dried answer to that. I know that I fell in love with baseball and I was born in 81 as well. I fell in love with baseball because I played baseball because yeah, I yeah. grew up in a baseball city and in a baseball family. And did things like played stickball, had a neighborhood where, you know, we, we figured out rules to play like one-on-one baseball. I was a fan of the game. Right. Obviously wasn't good enough to make it to the majors, but I played all the way through high school, gave it a shot in college and my fandom never died down. So if you create that interest in the game at an early age, at an important and crucial age, there will be a larger pool of candidates to pull from to get those 23rd and 22nd and 21st guys on the roster to be black um, at yeah. a higher, at a higher frequency. Yeah. I mean, I've always said, if you, if somebody participates in baseball, whether they play or whether they just kind of like, like it through high school, you have a fan for life. Like that's the right. cutoff for me. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. And so, you know, I think that's one of the places where you look at some of the efforts that MLB does in terms of play ball and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's like some of these things you're like, yeah, sure, that works at a grassroots level. But the bottom line is kids have opportunities to actually play in advance. And that's that's a real question, you know. So when I sat for after Jackie and we talked about that, and we talked about guys like Bill White and like what what they did, forget the baseball, him moving into broadcasting as important you know what i mean in terms of like where we can get in on different avenues of the game that don't necessarily have to do with whether or not you can take a slider oppo or whatever you know what i mean like there's so many different ways to get into this thing that i think we need to open up that have more to do with just just us being the best players on the field and that's something that i really think is important the broadcasting angle because as i mentioned as a mets fan i'm exceedingly proud of my booth right gary keith and ron they knock it out of the park day in day out i love them but Look, there's times where I cringe about the way they talk about a jazz chism. And it's mm-hmm. not coming from a like spiteful doesn't belong in the game. It's coming from that old 70, 60 year old tuck your shirt into your pants. Your your cap brim should be folded like this is the way the game was meant to be played. And, and, and that can't do anything but alienate the people that are listening to today's music and that's across right. racial lines, right? Like if you're 16 years old, the last thing you want to hear is some 63 year old former first baseman, you know, talking trash about the fast athletic electrifying black guy with blue hair, who's hitting line drives and making diving plays. It just doesn't add up. And I don't care if his pants are a little baggy or if he's got a couple extra armbands on, like we've got to find a way to bridge those people that can inform really well with those people who are in touch with the culture. And that's one of the challenges the game still has ahead of it. I'm a really big yes. And type guy when it comes to this, because I do believe that MLB little, I'm a little league coach. My son's seven. 
um, I, I believe in diversity at every level, the lower levels, the high school levels, the travel ball levels, and so forth. But I also am a consumer of mainstream media, especially sports media. And I, I, I was talking about this the other day. You know, there's a you know, judge hits 30. He hits 30, and Grain Slam was a blowout game against the Pirates, but he hits 30. And the next thing I do, the next day, I turn on the news, and what's the conversation? Baker Mayfield signs with the Carolina Panthers. And I'm sitting here wondering, that's the lead story. Every, I mean, long segments on whether Baker Mayfield's going to play or not. And we're talking about a Carolina Panthers team that's not good, a, a backup quarterback that the original team that drafted him didn't want him overall. And I understand what it means, but I'm sitting here trying to figure out if we can turn the page a little bit on media to have more conversations about the game and what some of our amazing players are doing, or even not so amazing players, then I think there's a little bit of a bottom up and hopefully I hate to say trickle down. Cause that's, I mean, I I'm smarter than enough to know that, but <laughs> look, I work, I, I, I'm smart enough to know that, but I, I always think I, I remember the Dion commercials for Nike. I remember the Griffey commercials and there's, you know, no reason outside of, we talk about this a lot, uh, you know, Tatis being on the cover of MLB, the show and having a, on a profile, where is that almost like NBA NFL style flair that attracts young folks to be like, this is on their phone. Is that, is that, is that problematic or am I just looking at it wrong? There's two things. I I think number one is that like, if you're going to get caught up in the, what I like to call some level of the please like my sport and they don't show videos on MTV mindset anymore. Like (laughs) I I don't have time for that. Like I like baseball, you know what I'm saying? And so as somebody that's on these shows that argues about the relative importance of things versus another, I mean, sure. That's one thing, but like, there's no world in which, Oh, we're not talking about this a one versus B two in terms of a rundown that I'm going to get upset about it because I, I like it. And there's enough of a world that exists already. I think that that's the main thing that I think a lot of baseball fans don't realize is that y'all are not y'all, but people are too busy trying to argue about baseball versus other sports. Why don't you just talk about baseball with the people who like baseball? Like, baseball. There's, plenty, I see, I got there's plenty of people there. You. you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's what I do. And so when I do stuff like stab, grab or stab, you know what I mean? Just little bits on the internet to make sure that people are interacting with the game. Like, that's I don't have time to be arguing with people who are NFL diehards about right. what goes on. You know, I just don't like sure. Baker Mayfield. I mean, I remember this happened two days ago. So I remember yeah. thinking the exact same thing. Like, wow, that moves to a one. OK, sure. But like, <laughs> that's that's the world. You know what I mean? And right. that's not going to stop me from enjoying anything. But it does change what I think people understand what folks actually are drawn to baseball for. Like the small percentage of human beings who obsessively care about numbers leading the pack as like the people who determine what it is we're supposed to like about baseball has always been a problematic situation. Mm-hmm. Just like all these idiots that are obsessed with robot umps now. I'm like, bro, like what, this is such a small percentage of people who actually give a shit about this. You know what I'm saying? Like most people are there because they kind of like watching the dudes kind of goof around and have fun on a baseball field. Like baseball is way too obsessed with this notion that the best players have to be the most popular players. And mm-hmm. this is the Mike Trout concern. And it's like, no, that doesn't have to be the case. And I think that, if you can find a way to get people to remind themselves that the experience is far more than just saying, Hey, I root for the guy that's really good. 
you can find a way to go to the game for a real level. You like baseball because you like seeing people pick the ball up off the dirt and get it across the diamond and run bases and make relays. And perhaps, you know what I'm saying? There's plays. It's not because you necessarily get to say, oh, my God, I saw that guy hit 40 home runs. You actually like it. And I think that that's one thing that baseball has gotten away from. And by baseball, I mean MLB in this case, which is not all of baseball. MLB has gotten away from. There's, it's it's a little too driven towards things that they assume that other people like about other sports that are not necessarily what people have to like about their sport. And that's a, you know, that's just a cognitive, you know, understanding part. That you, I may, think we're still you may have already answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Make believe world, your commissioner for a day. What's the first mm-hmm. thing you change about the game? Probably, probably. Well, this is a two-part thing. Number one has to do with minor leagues. I mean, you know, you can't have a functional system in which you're paying players lower than a living wage from your developmental programs and expect anybody to be any good when they get to the top. That's the number one thing. But I think the main thing I do is probably extend rosters. I feel like the way that the game goes now, the way the pitching works, you know, and the number of, you know, the limits on what you can do, I, I just think that the game has become very stilted from a gameplay standpoint in that regard. And if you had more guys, you might be able to do more stuff so that you don't have openers and seven pitchers a game. You know what I'm saying? Like, because you can strategize a little differently. I do think there are some very serious gameplay things that can be fixed. Um, But I I think they're more, they're much more structural than people are willing to admit. I got two. Alex, same question. Ban the shift. Bring back the base hit. Get people on base. And that's the the shift is expected to be banned next season. So, We're going to see those 225 guys hitting 245 again and right. see guys hitting around 300 again, which is going to lead to more men on base. Number two, and Jeff Passon brought this up the other day on ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre, limit the amount of pitchers on the roster, which, accomplishes, yeah. which accomplishes the same thing as, as what you're saying. That forces the starting pitcher to stay in the game longer. That creates an environment where the starting pitcher is not going max effort every pitch, which then brings down velocity a little bit and enables these guys to put the ball in play. Because what you got right now is a three true outcome game. Everybody is throwing 98. It's impossible to hit that. If you're a left-handed batter, X percent of line drives or one hop ground balls that were hits for a hundred years are being fielded in short right field and turned into out. So you can't hit 275. Mm. So all you're doing is selling out. And so even within the population of people that do like baseball, we're looking at this product that's stagnant. You're waiting around for a home run and guys are striking out left and right. Nobody's trying to steal bases. Nobody's trying to go first to third because guys just aren't on base. Mm -hmm. And it, it creates a product that just doesn't have that electricity. There's no Cardinals of the 80s. There's no running Ricky Henderson. All of that is out the window. Because literally, you're just having guys close their eyes, swing as hard as they can, and hope they hit it. To be fair, the Braves are the closest thing we've seen to that in a long time. And you can thank EY and Ron Washington, who are the base coaches on that mm-hmm. team, who get them moving and do a lot of that stuff. This is a sidebar. I just want to bring this sure. up while I was on my mind. Um, the whole thing about max effort pitchers is like a totally other huge conversation in the developmental world that I'm sure you come, you're going to be into, talking about the youth game, but like the whole driveline situation and like how – you know, velo over everything else. And you see guys like Kumar Rocker who mm-hmm. have great college careers, but turns out by the time they're done, they're banged out and big league teams don't even want them anymore. Like that's the kind of situation that I know Boris was involved in. It was separate sort of specifically, but like that can't happen. 
You know what I mean? Like that guy was a household name in college baseball yep. that doesn't yep. occur. And he can't even find a way onto a pro team for two years after he gets drafted. So that's the kind of stuff where it's like, yo, man, there are so many internal things about how guys come up through the system that affect the top level that you actually have to change from the inside and not from the top down. I really encourage you to check out Tom House on Twitter. He's doing a lot on this, on that specific yeah. subject. And um, you're right. And it's not even just a minor league issue or a college issue. This is oh, a, it's a high school a developmental issue. Yeah. Is what yeah. It is. yeah. You got 11-year-old kids, 12-year-old uh, kids who are on a path to disaster at this point because, you know, your cohort in Richmond wants to make sure he takes home the crown at the end of the year. Absolutely. Right. And it's just, it's, it's tragic. It's tragic. The rocker situation you mentioned as well, previously mentioned, yeah. I was like, so he goes, I think he goes back in the draft this year. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, oh, yeah. And he best. was pitching for some team, but like the point is, is just that like, that can't, I mean, that can't, yeah. what are we I talking just can't about? Just for a friggin' no hitter in a regional, you know what I'm saying? Super regional. Like and, how and, does and this, not, you know? Yeah. And couldn't go back to Vanderbilt at the time either. It was insane. Right. Um, let me switch gears just a little bit while I have you. Um, Clinton, your one of your last articles talked about the division college baseball division one and, 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 and opportunities for coaching in college baseball. And it was fascinating. It's, it's one of those things. It was one of those articles where if you follow college baseball and I follow college baseball, I'm not surprised, but seeing it in black and white and seeing the numbers was like 299 and 12 coaches. It's just amazing. And yeah. I was trying to figure out as we go through kind of the, 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 the trajectory that we're on, whether it's college baseball or now these elite traveling programs and so forth, I often think about opportunity. How do baseball in general increase opportunity for what you were saying earlier? Maybe not the, the Ken Griffey Juniors or the Frank Thomas of the world, but I'm, Look, you were probably in Washington covering a guy. And when we were in Baltimore, because the Nationals didn't have a team, there was a center fielder named Mike Devereaux. Yeah. Our, our, Mike, yeah, Mike Devereaux, by no means, he may have made an all-star game, maybe, but he, yeah. but he patrolled center field. How do we increase opportunity throughout the game, uh, especially on the coaching front? And, and, and you know, just that, that part seems like a glaring omission. You want to go first? Yeah, I mean, the league is doing some things. Um, And all of these plays are kind of like long-term plays. Nothing happens overnight. You've got the Andre Dawson Classic, which puts HBCU players in position to be seen by scouts. You ever been to that? I have not. I, I fun. You should go. I definitely want to check that out. There's a Hank Aaron Invitational. The Hank Aaron Invitational with the high schoolers. Major League Baseball is committed to developing and growing um, interest in the game and participation in the game. Um, not all of their plans work, but they're giving it a, a, a good, honest try. And after Dream series, breakthrough, Dream series, all that. Up. It's in the same vein of stuff, yeah. Yep. We, when we talked with Kyle Johnson um, in the Virginia area, uh, he's, about, he's about to start at Duke uh, in 2023, and he, he's a young black man, pitcher, outfielder. He was fired up, and he talked about the different kind of energy that kids his age brought to the game and what the experience was like being at the Hank Aaron Invitational and being surrounded by 50 black kids with the spikes, with the swag, with the energy, with the electricity, with the celebrations, the game is fun. Like people ask me what I think the best job in the world is. And I say power hitting left-handed first baseman because 
to me, that's the best job in the world. The game can be fun. It's just finding ways to express that to a new generation that's got a more distraction options than ever. And B is inundated with marketing messages about the other sports. I think the college question is a different question for a Mm. lot of reasons that almost have nothing to do with baseball. They have more Mm. to do with the NCAA. They have more to do with sort of regional nonsense. The whole 11.7 scholarship thing is a hurdle Mm. that is almost impossible to get over from a participation standpoint on a lot of levels, because you come up with these weird conundrums where people just can't afford to play. And there's no real reason. You see what Perfect Game does. You see what all these other leagues do. The money is there. It's just the way the NCAA works. It's not going to the places that already have the infrastructures for the most exposure. And that is actually a really big problem because it's like, yo, if all these people can pay all this money to play travel ball, Mm -hmm. well, then why can't we find a way to somebody get somebody to invest in this stuff from an NCAA standpoint? I'd rather have balance. I'd rather have 25 NCAA scholarships available to every team, to the 300 teams in the country. You know what I mean? Rather than whatever we're doing now, you'd see a lot of participation grow up and mm. go up. And I think a lot more people would get a lot more chances now with title nine and everything else that sort of balance isn't quite the same. But again, all of this is changing as we speak. And all you've got to do is see the popularity of the youth game. And I realize a lot of it is exploitative. I, I, I do, but a lot of it is in reasonable faith. And if you've got enough people in reasonable faith and you've got this much interest, well, that should be able to apply at the things that are a little bit more visible, but that's the disconnect that college has because of the way it all works. You know, the reason why it's worth pointing out that there are no black head coaches in the Mm -hmm. power five of college baseball is because that's insane. Like think about all the people that you've met. Think about all the people that you've mentioned. If all these brothers from the 80s and 90s, who we all remember, are still very much alive and with us and still very much trying to be a part of the game. Sure. Can't seem to find their way. Like, what? How, what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, and I don't even mean that from an, like, an offended standpoint. I just mean like you're clearly not bringing the most talented minds back to the game. And that's a larger issue than just what you're doing from growing it from a, from a grassroots standpoint. Because if the guy I know around the corner from my house and I'm a 10-year-old is a big leaguer, but all he does is sit on the porch and complain about how he can't get back in the game, well, that sucks. You know what I'm saying? Like, if that guy can get a gig, or maybe I can see him more visibly as a part of something that's actually going to something, I might want to contribute as well. You know, I I use John Thompson as an example of this all the time. What no way some brother was supposed to take some small parochial school and turn him into a powerhouse. He just did it because that's how it worked. You know, he knew what he was doing. And there's plenty of brothers out there that know what they're doing. They're just never going to get in the pipeline. So if if Major League Baseball and college baseball ever want to get on the same page, which is not probably going to happen in my lifetime, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? There's a way to do this, but as it stands, they're kind of competing with each other because of the way the minor leagues work. And it's, it's, this is what I mean by the structural underbelly of a lot of this stuff is well beyond anything that happens once a guy makes a 25 man roster. You mentioned uh, coach John Thompson and there is a coach and very much in the spirit and vein of John Thompson at Georgetown right now coaching the head coach of Georgetown baseball, correct? Edwin Thompson. Yep. Amazing. Edwin Thompson came from fun fact. Yeah. Fun fact played on the last team ever at Howard. Did you know that? I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. Gentlemen, this has been awesome. Let me, let me turn the page and get back to some optimism in the sense of going, looking into the second half of the season. Cause we can talk about this all day and we know the numbers and we know what, what has to happen. Let's, let's finish out talking about, Again, I know, kind of what you were talking about when you said you're excited about where baseball is right now in this particular season, as we go into the second half of the season, what are the things that you actually are going to be looking for? 
Um, I know everybody can win, or not everybody, but a lot of teams can win. There's a lot of good players. Name a couple of things that you will be looking for specifically uh, as we finish out the second half of the 2022 season. Um, per the discussion we've had here, I'm looking to see if Michael Harris can make an impact on that Braves team that's going to be able to relieve them back to the World Series. That guy's changed the way that their offense is aligned. He's changed the way that they do things from a base running standpoint. I mean, and he's a plus outfielder on a level that they didn't necessarily have at the same rate last year. So his progress on a contender is something I'm very much looking forward to. Also, and this is a little bit off board, and this is not just for the second half of the season, the World Baseball Classic's coming back. I'm it's coming very back. excited about it's that. Coming you back. know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm a large fan of that particular um, product of the game. And so that's kind of a separate thing. Why, why like, do you like it so much? I, I love it, I but just, why do you like it so much? I just think that it's a cool application for the game. You know what I mean? Like, as much as it is, I like to see guys playing baseball that are not necessarily playing Major League Baseball. Even if, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just more, it's hard to explain. It's just more fun. I mean, there's, yeah. I know there's a crowd, but like, you're not going to get a lot of moments in a Major League Baseball game like Adam Jones robbing a home run out there in center field coming down and going nuts. You know, that's a play he still talks about when I talk to him and stuff, you know, like there's just, it's, it's just different. And on some level as a baseball junkie, different and more is better. Um, I'm also looking to see what, hmm, let me think. I'm also looking to see how things go on the West coast. I mean, the giants were a bit of an anomaly last year and nobody seems to think that they can do that again, but they won that division and the Dodgers were kind of like, Oh, damn, you know what I mean? And they both gotten better. So the, the Southern California, I mean, I know I live here, but, you know, the Southern California situation is actually quite interesting to me from a big league standpoint. I want to see what the Padres look like when Tatis gets back on the field. Right, um, right. Him losing, you know, losing him for half the year was just, that was a killing blow. Oh, devastating blow to devastating their entire blow. season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and I mean, they're still 11 games over 500 somehow, and they're in the mix. I know they're eight back of the Dodgers, but like there's more playoff teams now. So I definitely want to see what happens when he gets back on the field. I want to see Hunter Green in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm figure out, right figure yeah. out uh, a way to maintain and have a strong season. I don't need him to win the Cy Young. I need him to get through the season completely healthy. I need him to go into the sixth inning and in as many starts as he can. I need to see him striking people out and just accruing the experience he's going to need to become a real frontline starting pitcher moving forwards. Um, it's just scary. Uh going back to the max effort and going into the dog days of summer. I don't want him to get shut down. I want him to figure out a way to, to, to build strength and just make it all the way through the season. That's a big one for me. Quickly. I just want to say this Hunter Green, an interesting guy. Cause he came up as more of a two way player. Like he wasn't necessarily going to pitch until mm-hmm. he got into the pros and people start seeing triple digits, whether they can locate it or not, all of a sudden they can't get him <laughs> off the mound. And so like, no, and I said, that, I mean, I know Hunter, Hunter's my friend, like I, I you know, he's worked on that. And so, He's got the star potential that I think you're referring to sure. just in terms Absolutely. of who he is as a person, never mind how he plays. That's a good call. Yeah. Um, and, and Clinton mentioned it as well. I, I love baseball and I, and I love it at all levels. And one of the things that I'm excited about, especially for the trajectory that we're on in the second half is the pipeline, especially in the minor leagues of young black players is actually exciting. It is. They are, yeah. they are you know, if we're, if we're talking about the draft uh, that's coming up, I guess on the 17th, 16th or 17th, there is, you know, several black players in the top 50. Uh, If we looked at uh, the prospect, the top MLB top 100 prospects, several black players in there. I think uh, Jordan Walker from the Cardinals organization is is number eight. I think he's the highest he's going to play in the futures game coming up. Um, If we looked at even 
Darren Baker's going to be in that game too. Darren Baker's going to be in that yeah. game, and and just exciting, exciting stuff. There's a I wrote a post today. It was uh, uh, Todd Bradley, Darren Baker's in there. Todd, um, yeah. It, it's they've got some they've got some exciting um, prospects that are in the minor league system, and they're very exciting prospects. And these these upcoming draft pools of players that I do think have exactly what what Clinton and you and Alex are talking about the ability to actually kind of flood the system. Yeah. Um, and that's exciting. That's exciting. So I'm, I, 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 I agree with you a hundred percent in the sense of the world baseball classic. It gives me the feeling. If you ever see those international type of games, whether it's in the yeah. Caribbean league or, you know, Dominican or even the international, Asia, even. right. Yeah. International soccer feel when you're looking at a game that yes. is so exciting. And it's just, I think that there is so much that's, a little bit of the double-edged sword that I always talk about because I look at the game and there's so many, so much things to be excited about and so many things that make me happy about it. And so much things, uh, the shortstop um, cruise in Pittsburgh, just even seeing two weeks of highlights. That dude could be playing for the Steelers. He's right. playing the wrong game, bro. Yeah, no, yeah. no, he's not. No, he's not. Oh he's God. playing the right game. He's yeah, absolutely no, he's playing the right I'm game. I'm just saying he's that athletic, you know. Uh, yeah. But it, 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 it's so many things that get me excited that – um, it almost feeds my, I'm going to, I'm going to reflect on this conversation and try to reflect on some of the things I want to see in the media differently. Cause it feeds right. my frustration about like, these guys are so great. We should be talking about them all the time. And yeah. I love it. And I want to, I want to continue that gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun um, and a lot of insight. I hope we can do it again sometime, maybe even leading into the playoffs because if, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not following these two individuals, you really should be because they, they are really, really passionate fans about the game. And they're talking about the game in a way that I think is relatable, but I think is exciting. And they're giving you knowledge and facts as well that you're just not going to get all the time. And it's really, really important that we get this type of coverage. So Alex and Clinton, thank you so much. Uh, 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 uh.